I've shared before that I love a good action movie. Anybody else? Love a good action movie. And I love a good historical action movie. Like, you know, those lost kings that need to be found and put back on the throne. All of those kinds of things. And one of my favorite scenes in an action movie is that moment when the reinforcements arrive. You know? And it feels like everything is hopeless and lost and you're sitting in the theater or on your couch at home. And then all of a sudden, the cavalry rides in. It's like, Something that's going to happen. This exciting moment. It's such a great moment in books and in movies. This moment of triumph. When the team finally arrives. Or when that protagonist finds that their, their call for help was actually received. And all of a sudden the good guys rally around the protagonist. And this moment that looked like imminent defeat is turned to victory. So turn with me to Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17. If you don't have a Bible, we have lots. Our order of Bibles finally came in. Yay. So sad that we live in a place where it takes so long to get things. But they're here, so we have lots. If you need a Bible, we would be delighted to give you one. Also, you can go to your app store, search Bible, get one on your phone, then you're always with it. Ephesians 6, we're going to start at verse 10 and read all the way down to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. So Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you don't leave us undefended, but you know, you know that we are in a war. It's waging all around us. I thank you that you're faithful to protect us you're also faithful to provide for us. And so we give you all the honor and glory. Would you lead us and guide us into truth this morning? Your precious name. So Paul wraps up this letter with this reminder and this encouragement. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he echoes the words here of mighty power from Ephesians 3.20. And why does he end his letter this way? He ends it because we have a real enemy who wants to trip us up. As we've kind of seen throughout Ephesians, this call to live wisely in a day that's evil. We have an enemy who wants to trip us up. Why does he end this way? Because our whole life is a battlefield, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Why? Because we have a God who loves us and wants to prepare us for all things at all times. And so these next verses, although they kind of feel like they're standing apart and separate, he pulls all of these threads together 
of all of these different things that you can actually trace a bunch of these different phrases that Paul says right here in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. You can trace them back to different parts in Ephesians where he's kind of plopped this little idea right here, right here, right here, these little threads, and he's grabbing them and pulling this letter tight to close. Well, before we jump into the armor of God, which is kind of the crux of this, we have to pause to take into account the entire instruction listed for us. Now, I mentioned before that I was with these kids and family ministry students talking about how we teach the armor of God in kids' circles. So did anybody grow up in a faith community and have to learn the armor of God? Whoa. Thank you for people that are feeling brave. Not as many of you as I thought. I had to memorize the entire armor of God in We College, which was a program for three, four, and five-year-olds. I know. Just think about that. I had to memorize the entire armor of God. I remember memorizing it before the age of five. And I had been kind of taught this checklist of things to put on in the morning to make sure that you're not defenseless. But here's the thing. I don't think that we started at verse 10. I don't think we started with the entirety of this command and this teaching. And here's where it gets me a little bit worried. We live in a very independent culture. We've been taught that strength and succeeding at life is not needing anybody else. It's to be able to do it all without ever asking for help. And my worry is that in the way that we have taught the armor of God, without meaning to, we'll assume good intentions, we've actually taught people that as long as you do your thing, you're okay, you're safe. You don't need help. You don't need anybody else. And so it's crucial that we slow down and go to verse 10 and sit with it for a moment. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I mean, even saying it, the armor of God, we acknowledge that this armor is God's. But we have to sit with verse 10 because putting on this armor is the secondary command in this passage in Ephesians 6. It's this recognition that the armor isn't where the power comes from. The armor isn't where the safety comes from. The armor doesn't give us the ability to stand strong. The armor is the secondary command the first, the primary command is that we're strong in Jesus and we're strong because of Jesus. We're strong in his power alone. David Guzik writes, there's two essential, the two are essential, and much teaching on Christian combat neglects the first. If you take a weak man who can barely stand and put the best armor on him, he will still be an ineffective soldier. He'll be easily beaten. So equipping for Christian combat must begin with the principle, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now we have this 
wonderful person that we love in the Bible. His name's David. You may have heard of him. And there's this great story of David, this narrative in the Old Testament where David goes and he finds the Israelite army cowering when they are faced with their opponent, Goliath. And David is full of righteous indignation. He's like, I will take on this guy. And so what do these people do in their kind of logical thought of what needs to be done? They take David into Saul's tent and they outfit him in Saul's armor. It doesn't fit. And so David says, I don't need that. And he goes and he faces Goliath without armor, but with the conviction and strength and faith in his God and a slingshot and stones. And he defeats his enemy because our strength and our victory isn't in our armor. Our strength and our victory is in our God. That is the primary command. If you took me to a combat zone, and put me in the best armor possible, I'm not going to last long. Not. I've never held a gun. I don't know how to shoot it. I would probably shoot my own foot. It would not go well. Because we don't just put people in armor and send them out to war. There's boot camp. There's tactical training. There are generals and all these other ranks of commanders calling the shots, seeing the things that those people on the ground can't see. The armor has to come second to a life of training. And we have a God who does train us. We have a God who does give us his strength. We have a God who invites us to recognize who he is in our lack. We have a God who cares for us, who swoops in. The cavalry is coming on those moments where we feel like we're standing alone and we're not. We have a God who fights for us. And we are going to put on the armor of God. But we don't rely on it as some mystical outfit that allows us to step into scenarios dressed but unprepared. Because it's a second command. No, we church, we're going to understand. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are going to know Jesus first. We're going to know who he is and continue to press into him, learning more and more of who he is. So we can be strong in him first and put on the armor second. We're going to be trained up people. We're going to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Asking Jesus to refine us to look like him. We're going to be strong in him first and put on our armor second. We're going to get very familiar with the posture of surrender. And the discipline of prayer and reading the word of God. Because we are going to be strong in the Lord first. And put on the armor second. Why? Because we have a very real enemy. And we can't fight him in our own strength. We just can't. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. There kind of seems to be a spectrum in the Christian world on our views of Satan and demons. We have a very broad idea um, or different ideas on who Satan is and on what the demonic can do. So on one end of the spectrum, we have this overemphasis of the power of the demonic. We have people who cower at everything, who see Satan in every shadow and give him far more credit than he deserves. On the other side, we have people who would underemphasize the power of the demonic, who would look at Satan and demons and see kittens in lion suits and think that they have no power. They have no effect on humanity. And the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, Satan and demons, they're not middle school bullies. I think sometimes we get into to trouble like the sons of Sceva because we underestimate the strength. Look up that story in Acts 19. It's fabulous. Because we underemphasize the power of the demonic. These are warriors of light, the creation of Almighty God, meant to be his army who turned away from him, turned to darkness, and were cast out of heaven and seek to hurt God now by destroying humanity. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go up against any angel. These are beings with power created by God. On our own, we do not have it. We are unmatched, which is why we can't just put on armor and then go out to fight this battle on our own strength. But these are the creation of Almighty God. They are created things. They are not all powerful as God is omnipotent. They are not all knowing as God is omniscient. They are not able to be everywhere at once as God is omnipresent. And so as children of God, we recognize our enemy, but we don't cower from him. We don't shrink back in defeat because we know who our God is. Our God is greater. Our God is victorious. We know that through the word of God. And do you know what? So do the demons. They know their fate is sealed. We know their fate is sealed. And so we don't shy away from this battle that's happening around us, but we do acknowledge that these are not kittens in lion suits. These aren't mi middle school bullies that we can just walk up to and they're going to run away. No, we need to stand strong in God because it's only by his name and his power and his authority that we can stand against. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have a real enemy 
We're in a real battle. And so first command, we're strong in God. Why? Because we can't fight it on our own strength. Like the sons of Sceva, we're going to get our butts kicked. But we have been given this armor to put on, this philosophical illustration as Paul's looking at his captors. And he gives us this analogy of what we can do to stand strong in the battle. I do have a picture of some Roman armor. So this is what we're going to walk through. And the order that we have it here in Ephesians 6 is actually the order in which it would be put on. Now David Guzik, as I was researching this, separated the armor into the armor that was worn and then the armor that was taken into battle. And I found that fascinating. So we're going to do that distinction. We're going to do the armor that's worn and the armor that's taken into battles because we do have a real enemy who's looking for ways to attack God's people, to destroy humanity. And so there is a need to constantly wear armor. But then there is also a need when sometimes we feel this prompting of God to step into a specific battle. Or we feel the attack of the enemy. And we need to defend. So we need armor that we wear just day to day to get through life. And then we need armor that embodies your kingdom come, your will be done. So let's walk through the armor. First, in verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In addition to being the holster for a sword, the belt was very important to keep all of the other things where they were supposed to be. Things that you saw, like the tunic and the breastplate and all those things, and things you didn't see, like undergarments. It was very necessary for this Roman soldier to wear a belt tucked around their waist so that everything else was kept in place, allowing that soldier to have the mobility needed in a fight without having anything fall and trip them up. And if we are going to stand, then we must have the security of truth that keeps everything else in place. If we take off the belt of truth, those things that were meant to protect us don't fit properly. They get distorted. If we take off the belt of truth, those things that were meant to be underneath, close to our heart, those key foundational truths, they become the very thing which make us trip and fall. And so we have to be centered on what is true. How do we do this? We do it by being people who are rooted in the word of God and in prayer. Psalm 25 verses 4 to 5, David prays, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day. We haven't talked about it in a while, but we believe in an absolute truth, which means we believe in a truth that is separate from humanity so it can't be corrupted. We believe in a truth passed down to creation from the creator. We believe we find it right here in the word of God. But more than just written words on a page, 
And we believe that we have the Holy Spirit who makes the truth of Scripture come alive. Who allows it to get power, his power, speaking through it to change our lives. We believe that if we put this aside to give into the truth that's popular at the moment, even if it seems so close and just minusculely off, like a plumb line, it won't be long until you find a chasm between a life trying to honor God and a life of actual right standing before him. We need God to teach us his path, to guide us in his truth. We need to be people who routinely practice this, this sentence. What does God say about this? What does God say about this? Here's what I'm feeling right now. Maybe it's like rubbing like friction against something that I know true is true. Well, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to do a deep dive. What does God say about this? We need to be a broken record of passing everything that we're hearing and seeing and listening to through the filter of absolute truth found in the word of God and through the spirit of God. And that's going to be unpopular. Do it anyway. It's going to hurt as you're convicted of things that you've held in error. Do it anyway. It's going to be annoying sometimes to step back and to spend that much time digging through what does, the, what does God say about this. Do it anyway. It's going to be arduous and slow. Do it anyway. Because the belt needs to hold every other piece of your life together. And if it doesn't fit snug and secure, you're going to be tripped up on things that were supposed to be hidden like your underwear. As an aside, just a fun little fact, I just love that in this analogy that Paul has the belt of truth holding the sword of the spirit, right? The word of God. So smart, that man. Okay, moving on. Breastplate of righteousness is our next one. What does a breastplate cover? Thank you. It covers your heart and your lungs and your digestive system. It covers anything that if run through with a sword would kill you. It is very important that it is covered. Now here's the thing. We try to cover ourselves with righteousness all the time. I do, don't you? If I hear something about myself, I'm like, that's not true. I am going to defend my name. We fight to be understood. I try to cover myself in righteousness by minimizing and hiding my faults. Because I don't want my shame on display. We seek righteousness outside of God all the time. We try to cover the core of us all the time. And it's exhausting. And it's like wearing a breastplate of paper. Because the breastplate of righteousness that we've been offered in Christ, it's completely different. Here's what the breastplate of righteousness does, because it's not ours. The breastplate of righteousness says, 
I see your faults. I see your flaws. I see your sin. And I love you enough that I came to die for them. The breastplate of righteousness isn't our righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is Christ calling us righteous through him. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1. So that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What protects our heart? What protects our heart is knowing that God knows exactly who we are and loves us anyway. What protects our heart when the enemy wants to attack us with shame and guilt? Knowing that the cross covered it all, it always will. That forgiveness is ours and grace is free. What protects us when the enemy wants to deliver the kill shot? <laughs> I'm not protected by me. Take it up with him. It's his righteousness covering the key parts of myself. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We have a crushed rock driveway. Um, and sometimes I think to myself, I just need to get one thing from the car. It's fine. I don't need shoes. It's going to be 30 seconds. It is never 30 seconds if I don't put shoes on. I hobble my way out and I get back in and go, ow. There's something important about shoes. I told Lucas, I was talking about shoes. I put on really cute ones. I said, if there's ever a Sunday to wear really cute shoes, it's this, this Sunday. Shoes are incredibly important to be able to tackle any terrain and to last in any journey. Now remember, we are kind of putting ourselves into the first century. We don't have combat boots here, as Paul's writing this. They have sandals. These are Roman soldiers. And there is this really neat new invention, as Paul is writing this, as Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar use, and it is sandals studded with nails. Think of like the first iteration of cleats. And this brand new iteration of sandal allowed them to traverse all of this terrain far faster than enemies predicted they could make it and caught them unaware because shoes weren't something everybody wore. And climbing over mountains and rocky terrain in just sandals would be tricky. Shoes are so important to protect and to allow us to follow the path that God leads us down. William Barclay writes, sandals were the sign of one equipped and ready to move. The sign of Christians is that they are eager to be on the way to share the gospel with others who have not heard it. We need to be equipped in the knowledge of truth. 
We must be equipped in our experience, our relationship with God, the righteousness of Jesus covering our torso. And we must be equipped to bring our testimony to those who want to hear it, no matter where God leads us to go. So we have our first three pieces of armor. And then we have our armor to take. David Guzik wrote, I kind of told you that I was going to mention this. Some of the armor we must wear all the time and have as a standing foundation. Therefore, having comes first. We must be rooted in the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the combat boots of the gospel. Yet now, Paul will deal with the aspects of the armor we are to take at the necessary moments of spiritual warfare and opportunity. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you ever watched uh, historical movies where they have just those little circle shields that you're like, that's going to do you no good? It looks great for Hollywood, but it's useless. That is not the shield that Paul is talking about here. This shield was the shield used by the Roman legions when approaching a fortress. And you had seen it in that picture. This is a shield that the whole of your body could fit behind. And it was used side by side within your unit to protect you on all sides when used together. Have you ever seen where they're like, shield wall? This is the shield they're talking about. And this shield was so thick that when flaming arrows were shot down from the battlement, the very act of them going into the shield would extinguish the arrows. How big is your faith in Jesus? What size is your shield? Take up the shield of faith. The shield Paul is urging us to pick up is a shield that our entire being can hide behind because we know that God protects us from head to toe. The shield that Paul is urging us to take up is one that has such trust in Jesus. It's so thick that when those arrows of the enemy are shot towards us, the very act of them sinking in extinguishes doubt and fear and temptation and what other attack is coming towards you. And I wish that I could just grow my faith by wishing on it. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that the only way to enlarge my faith in Jesus is going through the battle. I've learned that it's only in the trial that I see God's sovereignty and care proven. I've learned that it's only in the stories of faith of God coming through other people's trials that allow my own faith to be spurred on. And so we don't cower at the attack, we allow the attack to enlarge our faith, to grow our shield. Because we stand behind the sovereign care of God Almighty who loves us and protects his people. And take the helmet of salvation. Thought is so powerful 
Thought has this ability to steer our decisions because our mind is an incredible creation, and we're not going to get into it, but it's amazing. God allows us to choose him, to know him, to have free will in all of our decisions. We are unique in all creation. And so, of course, those of us that are unique in all creation, who have the opportunity to choose for ourselves whether we're going to have a relationship with God or not, would find that the mind is also the primary battleground. It's in our minds where we're deceived, disillusioned, and discouraged. So what does Paul tell us to do? Protect your head. Protect your mind. Protect the battleground. Don't allow the enemy to take root in it. So what does our kind and good God give us in this place that is our primary battleground? He gives us salvation. He gives us this understanding similar to the breastplate of righteousness of who he is and all he's done for us. That we can't stand on our own merit. We can't stand on our own strength. We can't stand on our own understanding. But through the helmet of salvation, we are reminded over and over and over that we have a God who loves us. And will continue to save us. William Barclay writes, there's salvation for a helmet. Salvation is not something which only looks back. The salvation which is in Christ gives us forgiveness for the sins of the past. And strength to conquer sin in the days to come. The helmet of salvation reminds us, even if we lose this battle. Even if we falter and we fail. And we sin again. It's not over. The helmet of salvation reminds us that it wasn't the final blow. That grace is still free and forgiveness is still offered. That the cross covered it all. The helmet of salvation protects the most important part of our being. So we don't give up. So we don't become discouraged and disillusioned and deceived. So we stay the course in Jesus. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Both the written word of God and the spirit of truth who allows it to come to life for us. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We don't fight on our own because we're unmatched. We fight through truth. We fight through Jesus. We fight through his name and the authority that it carries. Jesus himself in the wilderness fought with the word of God. He fought using the Old Testament Pentateuch that he had. He stood strong and firm on the foundation of God's words given to us. And we have to do the same. But in order to fight with it, we have to know it. If we're going to fight with this, we better be opening our Bibles outside of Sunday morning. If we're going to fight with this, we need to know what it really says. Context. It matters what's above and below the verses you're going to pull out to fight with. Matters. Are we people who are getting into the word of God, our sword? I mentioned earlier that we're independent people in an independent culture. And I was worried that 
we teach the armor of God in an independent way. And I was thinking, I was trying to find the movie because it's in my head. And if you can think of it, then please tell me what it is. But it was a historical kind of war film. And these bandits had come and there's this like kind of comic relief moment where this man feels like he's scared them off on his own. And he's kind of like yelling after them like, yeah, you run. Like kind of throwing insults their way. But what he doesn't see and what the camera pans out for us to see is the army coming down the hill behind him. And the bandits are like, never mind, I'm out. Anybody? Okay. If you can think of it, please. I've been trying for two days to remember the name of this movie. So if you can think it, you'll be my hero forever. I read this quote from Lynn H. Kohick. And she wrote, finally, while we today might read this passage with a focus on an individual soldier, the ancient world would see in this military image an emphasis on a unit working as one for a common purpose. And that was such an aha moment for me. I don't know that I've ever thought of it as a Roman legion, as one soldier in the midst of a legion of brothers at arms. And sometimes I just feel like that foolish man staring at the bandits. Right? I've got my armor on, I'm standing strong in God, and I'm like shaking my fist and hurling insults. But what I fail to realize is that I'm not standing alone. We need each other. If you're standing with your one shield, shield wall isn't very powerful. But when you stand beside other brothers and sisters in Christ who have their shields up in front and you're flanked from behind, by brothers and sisters in Christ who have their shields up above. The protection from the flaming arrows of the enemy is strong. And while faith is individual, because you alone will answer to God at the end of your life for your choices, it's not solitary. You can put in community and in a family for a reason. I ask the worship team to come up. After church today, our community group hosts and leaders are going to be getting together to train. If you're not in a community group, I want to encourage you to find one. Let me put Tim on the spot. Tim, can you wave? Tim Ogden would be happy to help you get in one. Because we need each other. We need to wrestle through truth together. Iron sharpens iron. We need to be strong together. We need to be sharpened together. 
We need to be fortified together. We need to enlarge each other's shields and protect one another from the attacks of the enemy. Because we live in a battleground whether we acknowledge it or not. You have an enemy of your soul who is real. You have an enemy of your soul that is stronger than you. You have an enemy of your soul that knows the word of God better than you. You have an enemy of your soul who knows the character of God Almighty better than you. In your own power, you're unmatched. Thankfully, we don't have to do it on our own. We're in a war, but we've been given strength and power through Jesus. We're in a war, but we've been tasked to protect each other, to stand united together. You're not alone, and you're not defeated. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So Father God, I thank you that while we are unmatched, so are you. No one can stand against you. No one can outmatch you. You are the Almighty One. I thank you that you've given us your authority on heaven and earth, that we get to use your name. We get to stand strong in who you are. I thank you that you see the worst of us, you see our faults and our weaknesses, and you promise to be strong even in them. I thank you that God, you have offered us grace that's free and forgiveness for everything we've ever done or could ever do. And so we stand against the lies of the enemy that would seek to deceive and disillusion and destroy. We stand against the lies of the enemy that would seek to discourage. God, we know we don't fight on our own. We know that the, the lies of our enemy who want to tell us that we have no right they're true. But the cross covers it all. So would you lift heads this morning? Would you speak truth for those who have allowed that belt of truth to slip off? And would you refasten it? take them on a journey of discovering more of who you are and what your word says so that when the time comes they can draw that sword with confidence God for those who have put on paper breastplates 
who have sought their own righteousness, would you take those off and replace them with ones that would deflect the tax of our enemy? Would you remind us that we are not righteous on our own, it's only through you, so that no one can boast and also so that no one can attack us with it because we know, we know where salvation comes from. We know where our freedom comes from. It's from you. We're not mixed up about it. We know it's you. It's grace upon grace upon grace. And so when those lies come that would seek to harm our heart, that would seek to penetrate our mind, we know where our strength is. It's in you. God, would you shod our feet for those of us who've just been trying to walk around shoeless asking that you would just pick the easy paths the grassy ones the sandy ones so that our feet wouldn't get hurt would you put shoes on us that would test all terrain Would you give us the words for a testimony, the answer of the hope that we have? Because there's a world who desperately needs to hear it. So God, we surrender to you. We surrender to you, our almighty one, our general commander of angel armies. We surrender to you. Guide us in truth. We love you precious name. Amen. Let's stand together.